0: Hello dear listeners and welcome to another episode, episode 5 of Conscious Curiosity. I'm Modia Silva, the host, and through this series I interview different people to see what it means to them about being conscious and being curious. In this episode, I love it because I'm going to be interviewing Suzanne Gibbs, who is an artist and an author who lives in California and has her art studio up over the border in Oregon. And she will talk all about being human, essentially. But she will talk about it through references to her book, which is called Conscious Curiosity. And so it made me think initially of a line that is attributed to King Solomon that says, there's nothing new under the sun. So I had decided to create this podcast and call it Conscious Curiosity. And a couple of months after doing that, I came across this book called, Dot, 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 Conscious Curiosity. It's like, whoa, I thought I came up with that unique title. Anyway, it is a real pleasure, or it will be a pleasure for you, hopefully, also, to hear what Suzanne has to say. She's going to talk a lot about learning about the power of self through book writing and through relationship. She will talk about happiness and grief and how the old tapes play in our head and messes up in our search or path to that. And we'll talk a bit about faith and then the responsibility to speak carefully and the question of does speaking harshly or does swearing add or take away from a relationship. Because I'm also a Gestalt therapist, there's a little bit in there as well about the Gestalt prayer and how that fits or did fit into Suzanne's life and how I view it and how it fits into the power of relationship. So without further ado, enjoy please this episode and let me know as usual if there's anything that you would like to hear and I'll do my best to create an episode to, uh, to support you. Thanks, enjoy. Yeah.
1: Because I am not a therapist. Um I'm just a human being that cares about paying attention to you know life the moments. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, maybe that's where we maybe that's where we start, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Because um because I'm also careful with words as a therapist and I when you just said just like I'm just like I don't know that there's anything more needed than what you do, which is just pay attention to life. Like, or anything else, like being a therapist, being a doctor, being a, you know, an accountant, like, are, are just like jobs and labels. But yes. I, think, I think the guts of life is just paying attention.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said just twice in that explanation, now that I've heard that word.
0: <laughs> I, I say just all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I do. Okay.
0: I do. I actually... I
1: might be totally more aware of it now for a few days.
0: <laughs> I, teach, um, I, I, I teach refugees and people who've experienced homelessness. And I help them set life goals and move towards their goals. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about language, the power of language, I point out how my you know, Achilles heel is using the word just. Yes. And then over the course of a month that I'm with them, they are constantly saying, "Modia, you ju- you you said just again." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, okay, I'm trying my best."
1: We're human, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So Suzanne, is it's, uh, thank you so much for coming on this show, this episode. Um, the reason that I reached out to you and and for the audience, Suzanne lives in Northern California and has an art studio, her art studio, um, just over the border up in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I came across Suzanne because she wrote a book right here, which you can probably get on Amazon, right? Still?
1: Yes, and I also have like cop, you know, signed copies available directly from my Etsy shop.
0: Oh, cool. So you can go to Etsy and get signed copies. The book is called Conscious Curiosity. Communicating to Connect by Suzanne Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S, and um, for anyone watching this on YouTube as opposed to on a podcast, you'll see Suzanne's name across the bottom and a way to link over to get that book. Um, So I'd love, over the course of our time together, Suzanne, to talk about some of the ideas that you pose in this book, but I actually want to start first by asking you about book writing.
1: Okay.
0: Because... um, I decided last month that within two years from now, I'm going to have written a book. And so I- Good for you. Yeah, yeah. For setting a a
1: realistic timeline.
0: Oh, yeah? You think two years is realistic?
1: It took me a year to write and develop that book, but it took 20 years before that for me to gather all the ideas. Ah, Okay. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I've got my work cut out for me.
1: Yes, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's so worth it though, because you learn so much through the process of what you're putting down, knowing that it's it's kind of a little bit more permanent than like a blog post or, you know, a, you know, social media post. And so Uh there's a, there's a deep underlying learning that comes from putting your voice down Mm. in a book.
0: Right. Oh, that's it's cool! Still,
1: it still matters. In other words, a book really matters so much, even in this world of like tons of content. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Well, I think as you just, if you just said, there's so much learning that mm-hmm. it's not, I think it, I would say, it's not just that the book matters, but you matter as the yeah. author of the book as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So how would, how would you say the book process, like that book writing process has changed you? Like what, or, mm-hmm. you Like, what are the big learnings or a big learning?
1: Well, when I started the process of writing it, I actually thought it was going to be sort of more like a booklet, like a, Mm -hmm. you know, under 100 pages, little fun thing with some illustrations. But the more I dove into the topic that was important to me, which is, you know, being really present in a relationship, whether it's with your children or with your significant other or even friendships. I realized, like, I kept opening more cans that I needed to answer for myself. Uh, And the book really came about because I couldn't find a book that was helping me to answer the questions I had. So I was answering my own by looking all over the place and asking questions. And um, I did have counseling before and during writing the book, too, because I because those questions were so persistent at that time for mm. myself. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. So. It sounds, it sounds like a lot of bravery is required as well then.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you could say bravery, but I also, I think it's just showing up for yourself every day a little bit. Mm. Um, like I said, when I first started out, I thought it was really small and then it you know kind of grew bigger. And so each time it grew bigger, the questions became something where I wanted to research it more it's showing up for that belief inside myself, like this is worthwhile. I need to keep working forward. And in this, I honestly did writing of some sort almost every day for a year to, to have that happen. It wasn't just, you know, you read about people that go on these, art, these writing retreats and for 40 days they go and they right. write the book and it's done. For me, it took a lot longer. I think in part, cause it was my first book. Um, but also just because I started from a place of so many questions. Right. Yeah.
0: I think that's great. We, um, there, we, we did an episode earlier where we actually talked about the question being more important than the answer sometimes. Mm. So I, I, I go back so I... and
1: listen to that one. I haven't caught <laughs> that one of yours.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it, isn't it,
1: that, it's, a... isn't that what conscious curiosity really is, is like, searching for the right question Mm. because there are wrong questions that you can go down that rabbit hole and not really grow or move from that research or that inquiry
0: right and how like how would you know that
1: you don't (laughs) honestly you really don't (laughs) except for that at a certain point there's a gut feeling like oh this isn't really what i wanted to know so what is it that i really wanted to know so it's asking again Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I think it's embedded in the title, I would say. It's asking again with curiosity, like staying open, right. staying open yes. to this may or may not be a useful question. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Especially so, since,
0: yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so it's a book about, it, it, it is a book about relationships.
1: Correct. mm mm-hmm.
0: um, why, why that? I mean, you could have written about I could have
1: written anything. <laughs> yeah um the year that it came to me that that was what I was going to do is um, it's so strange a story but anyway I'll tell it <laughs> um I had written a kind of a little pamphlet when my husband's brother got married and it, there was illustrations because we had been married about six years or seven years previous to him getting married and I thought the best gift I can give him is like this is what I've learned about being married so far right mm. and so I gave His brother and his new wife, this little booklet. Um, And then I made a copy for myself, which I always held on to. And the the year that conscious curiosity or the writing of it started, I stumbled upon that booklet again, at the same time that my parents were planning their 50th wedding anniversary. And so the two kind of just like smashed into each other. And I was in a position in my relationship where our kids were... um, just finishing high school. So I knew that our relationship was going to drastically change within two years. So you can just imagine like the, those three kind of different, uh, paths converging in my brain. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next for myself, for my husband, for us, for our children, um, for my parents, you know, and what is it that made it a that they could be together for 50 years and I had grandparents that had been together for 65 years so I was like I have some knowledge here because I have families that have figured out how to stay married and from my vantage point mostly happy like there's no such thing as permanently happy in a relationship but there's mostly joy and mostly happiness, and so so it made sense to kind of start the inquiry for myself on where do I want my relationship to move forward. Um, from from these questions. Nice. I think I answered your question. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you did, and I just want to kind of expand it out. Or no, I want to ask you whether. Um, whether we change the language just a tiny bit for the audience. Okay. Because um, traditionally we merge relationship and marriage together and kind of treat it as the same. And nowadays with people um, considering relationships in many, many different forms.
1: Absolutely. Good point.
0: uh, I know that your background, as much as I got from your book, is a little more traditional.
1: It's way more traditional. And I'm very aware of that. And I remember trying to write the book in a way that honors all types of relationships. I remember trying to be really careful about how I phrase things or how I ask people to ask each other questions. Mm-hmm. I can only speak from my what I know and that's my power in the book. But I am vastly aware that there's... Yeah, I agree, and I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't said that in in this. But it, there's so many ways that relationships can be long term, right? Without right. the marriage tied to it,
0: mm-hmm. right? And that I and that's clear in the book, and and yeah. and in addition to being clear, you're unapologetic about your own path and your own preferences, which I which I really like. I liked right. I liked a lot when I read that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I want to go, if I may. I'm going to grab the book. Along this line, there was a, there's an opening quote that you have on page, for anyone who has the book, on page XV. So for those Romans who are listening to this podcast, <laughs> you guys would know that that's page 15 as of, of the introduction. Um, can I just read it out? It's a quote from Fritz Perls, and it caught my attention because I'm a Gestalt therapist, and Fritz Perls, along with his wife, Lara, were the founders of modern-day Gestalt therapy. Um, "I, I do my thing, and you do your thing. I am not in this world to live up to your expectations, and you are not in this world to live up to mine. You are you, and I am I, and if by chance we find each other, it's beautiful. If not, it can't be helped. So um, I'm curious, can you can you talk about why that is essentially after the table of contents is your open opening to the whole book?
1: I I stumbled upon that quote in high school. I'm not sure what book I was studying or what literature class I was in, or you know, who knows. But I remember reading it and just being pulled over by it like, Mm. oh, my gosh, there's so much truth in here. And I just felt like hugged by the by the statement um, and supported and listened to. And I just can't even describe like the feeling that I had, you know, I was like 15, probably. Um, I had just moved to the United States after living in Mexico and Brazil as a child. And I felt like complete fish out of water where I was and where I was living and having a really, really difficult time even making one friend in high school. Mm. Um, And so I think that quote allowed me to realize like all I have to be is myself, you know? And, And at some point, some other people will decide if they like me or not and 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 that's okay and that's more than okay and so right. it just helped me to realize that if all i'm doing is if if what i'm i shouldn't say what all i'm doing but if what i'm doing is spending an enormous time drawing and painting in the art studio because that's what's feeling comfortable then and that is what felt comfortable back then that's more than enough like I I was still learning, growing, thriving. I just didn't have friends, you know? Right. And my friends came later for sure, because I kind of learned from that. I can almost quote that quote because there's times in my life where like I bring it up in my head again. (laughs) And so when I went to write this book, I was like, I searched for it so I could write it in its exactitude, not like my memory of it. And, um, I, I still think it's true. And I think it's true very much in relationships. You can't have a strong and powerful and healthy relationship that moves forward for a long time, unless both people in the relationship are strong and healthy and ready to move forward in their own life. Mm. So Right.
0: I, I agree. That's for me, that speaks to the first part. And also I, I was an immigrant to Canada as a teenager.
1: Oh, wow. And okay. I
0: also, um, even though I came from an English-speaking country, I came from England, but um, but it was impossible to make friends. I was just such an outsider, and I ended up with two friends who were both immigrants, like newly minted immigrant you know, you go.
1: Yeah.
0: Canadians. And it was uh, the first part of that of Fritz Perls' quote really does speak to my experience too. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: but can I just share that because the second part really disturbs me, not really disturbs me.
1: So of his quote or of what I said? No,
0: of his quote. Of his oh, okay. quote. Okay. Yeah. Say it again. Okay. You are you and I am I. If by chance we find each other, it's beautiful. And if not, it can't be helped. And to me, that piece feels or sounds and feels a lot like the me generation of the 60s in America that it's all about me. And if you fit into my orbit, great. And if mm-hmm. you don't, go your own way because it's my orbit and
1: it's interesting because I didn't take it that way yeah maybe I'm a different generation so I don't know
0: yeah because for me like therapy is very much about working at the boundary of connection and looking for the quality of that connection as opposed to oh we just don't connect let's let's go our own ways
1: yeah I see how it could be read that way um you yeah. can't felt. It's almost a Debbie Downer, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it, um, well, okay, but here's another thing is is maybe it can't be helped in that moment, but that doesn't mean that a month later, you're like, you know, I really do think I want to help myself, and I do want to work towards a relationship, or I do want to work towards changing this or that in my life, and so I think if you read it from the standpoint of that moment, rather than a forever blanket right. statement of never right <laughs> then, then i think there is power in it
0: yeah i okay i can see that too because gosh mm-hmm. gestalt is very much about the here and now and recognizing that every moment changes from the it previous you just
1: taught me something because i don't really know anything oh. about <laughs> <Gestalt>. <laughs> but there yeah. you go like I, I really did always think of it as just in this moment rather than right. in a forever sense
0: right so. right Nice. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to go away and think more about that. <laughs> There's something else you wrote about that I have to think a lot more about, which is um, which is the word faith, because it's such a loaded word in English, probably in every language. But...
1: Faith, religion, God, the whole, the whole, yeah, yeah right. spirituality. And yeah, it's so loaded right now.
0: Right. Go so, ahead. You, so you say in the book that you need faith. And so mm-hmm. can I ask you as like an open question, like, what is faith for you?
1: That's a big question. It's an even harder question with things that have been going on in the world and in America right now. Like, uh, d- yeah. Uh, hmm.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah, well, you, hit,
1: you hit a heavy one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, well, uh, yeah, and I, get, I realize it's a heavier question asking an American that as well right now.
1: Absolutely, because things are rough. I mean, we just passed um, a half a million coronavirus. Yeah. Right. Deaths.
0: Right. Deaths, right. Deaths, not, not in it's fact.
1: not even cases. That's death. Right. And that is rough. Uh, and it didn't have to be.
0: Uh-huh. Um, and And as sad as that is, there's more to America, too. And it's like you yeah. didn't have to go through the lead up to your election that you went through or the the post-election that you went through either yeah Uh,
1: okay so that is where faith comes in though is because i do feel like this kind of I'll, i'll call it a a shakeout or whatever it it's all meant to happen do I have faith that everything's gonna come out on the other end, just how I want it? No, I'm not that rosy about life. But I do think that the shakeout, these changes, the, you know, like for example, all the um, deaths and all the horribleness that's happening with the weather pattern in Texas and and stuff, like where does faith come in at all this? Like, I think that each of these things that happen gives us as a human more opportunity to learn about how to be a human. And I'm not even going to say a better human or a worse human, but just it keeps helping us to learn to take the next step. Right. So I guess that's my faith is just that it's, it's heavy. Like, I, you know, I'm sensitive right now, as I'm talking, like I'm coming from a place where I'm, I'm comfortable. I have a roof over my head. I have food in my belly, you know, I have people in my family and friends that love me. And so I don't have it, even though I have had times over the last 12 months where I've felt melancholy, I have not dived into depression yet. And there's really fine line difference there for me. Um, And I'm completely aware as, as I talk, there's, there's, you know, millions of people that are feeling depressed right now that are feeling like there is no faith there is no hope um, so I guess faith and hope are very closely tied
0: right did you really yeah.
1: want to talk about these heavy topics I <laughs> <laughs> gosh I had no idea oh you're really testing my boundaries of what I think and know without oh really um, yeah just
0: because oh, for me also I don't know I don't know where any episode is going to go on conscious right. and and so so yeah. for me, at a personal level, like faith is a big question or a big a big word, because I have to faith I have to have faith that um, that you and I will connect in a way that's meaningful, and that it'll be useful to the audience oh, or interesting and you know useful and entertaining and all those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: then let go of my expectation about well. What's, what's the next moment going to bring? What's the next moment? Do I have to have another question in my head to ask mm-hmm. Suzanne as soon as there's a pause, or can I just have faith that we're just gonna flow in a nice way and one moment right. we'll move to the next? And like, so, that, so those-
1: and maybe, maybe that is what faith is, is that you, you allow for that next moment to be a different moment. Allow right. for it to open itself up to you, um, allow for a little bit of light.
0: Uh-huh. Which yeah. is, from my perspective, like a crack in opening the door for people mm-hmm. who are in depressive states or are in anxious states, is mm-hmm. that if they can let go just for a moment of whatever past they're holding
1: that on to, yeah,
0: yeah. or let go of the anxious future that they're holding on to, and just drop into the present moment just just dip a toe in the water and then come back out Then that so
1: what you're saying makes me think that faith a lot of the time comes from your soul and your heart whereas the rest of it the the, the less faithful or the less pleasant parts of it definitely come from our mind swirling mm-hmm. you know our heart can't swirl into depression but our mind sure can and will right mm-hmm So I think faith comes from our soul, from our heart, from our being, rather than our mental state.
0: Right. I think it also, um, so I also distinguish between faith and trust. And um, an example that I like to distinguish between those two is if I stand, okay, so I'm from, I'm in Canada, so I can talk about frozen lakes so if I st- so if I stand at the okay, edge-
1: Texas right now but go ahead no, that's true
0: that, that's true Texans can too and I'm sure the lakes are bigger than ours
1: oh what a mess anyway go ahead yeah.
0: so if I stand at the edge of a lake and someone tells me that the ice is at least you know six inches thick and it can take up to you know 2,000 pounds or you know whatever weight it can sustain, and they show me the math, and then I'm gonna have faith that I could stand on, I could walk out onto the lake and I won't fall, I won't crack, and like the ice won't crack and me fall through. Mm-hmm. But trust includes the action as well. So I have the faith as I stand on the edge, as soon as I step out onto the lake, I've moved it into trust. That's my definition of faith and trust. Okay. But, but so, aren't
1: you also trusting the person that said that in the first place? It's not about the faith in that person. It's also the trust in the person that said, I don't know. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's they're much. Very,
1: yeah. They're very linked.
0: They're, they are very linked. And so I, I wonder, like, back to relationships, how, like, how does faith or trust play out in, in, in. You know, in what like in your book, you're really talking about primary relationships,
1: right? Um, it plays out in that knowing that even when you're at your most vulnerable, or when you have something to say that might make the other person angry, that you still trust that they want to keep the relationship moving forward together, rather than "I'm done with you," you know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's nice, because then it gives you permission to say something that might be you know, risky or you know it
1: might cause yeah. might
0: cause friction. But yeah. you know, but you know both both parties are staying, they're not going to run, run to the front door and run.
1: Yeah. Language is so important though for both people. Like learning I statements over you statements is like yeah. a really critical part to all that and even if you haven't learned that to learn to recognize that in yourself and others like you've just said a you statement and that hurts because i'm not sure that's what it really means or i'm not sure you're really saying something that makes sense to me right now can you rephrase that as an as an i statement what are you feeling you know and so it's right. like this constant like give take give take question yeah.
0: Right. Nice. And I, you know, I hear some of my clients use we statements when they're talking about their relationship with their partner or whatever. And it's like, it's actually not a we statement. It's a, it just like, you can't say we are feeling this way. Like.
1: There's it. still two humans and they're still too silent. Yeah, there is no. Yeah.
0: Right. So just say I, and it'll get to the root of it faster. Yeah. I, I like that. There's something that you talk about, you talk about happiness in the book. And can I just say, you say finding happiness comes from moving deeper into conversation.
1: You know, I wrote this book, I think it's six years ago now, four years ago. Um, And I, I will stand to those words being still true that even when it hurts to go deeper into a conversation and even though it's uncomfortable, there there is more happiness to that because you're learning either Uh, something about yourself or something about the other person that you might not have known it's like oh you know so that aha may come it comes a little later it might even come a day or even a week later like Mm. oh i had that conversation and i just you know yeah right i'll give an example like um just two weeks ago, I was on a trip with my husband to go see our kids. We hadn't seen them in a year because of COVID. And I was in the hotel room and I woke up one morning, just lamenting, like, I'm the one taking care of the dogs. You guys get to go skiing. And I was just like, in this like attitude. And then he got angry. And then within, cause he's like, you've got it. So, you know, whatever he got angry and, um, something just clicked with me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh! I'm just playing an old tape because we're together for as a family. It hasn't happened in a while, and this old tape that I'm playing and you know it's not real anymore. You know, and so that's what I think I mean by that happiness is like if you can really dive into that discomfort and face up to it, and um, um, it's very much like grief is like that too. You have to go towards it in order to find the 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 happiness.
0: Uh huh. Or let the happiness emerge or bubble up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, happiness is such a strange word. And I think I almost need to talk about that too, is, you know, in this culture, we think happiness is what we're all after, right? It's like Mm -hmm. fame, money, happiness. Like those three have to happen or life sucks. (laughs) Right. And I don't think happiness is a state that's a permanent state. And when I wrote the book, I thought that maybe it could, but I think I've kind of grown a little bit since then and realized that there really is no such thing as permanent happiness. But I do think that even when you're not happy, there is the idea that every day can have moments of joy. Uh huh. And so that just makes me so much more in, in, in ha- happy, <laughs> to know, right, like, even right. when I'm feeling crappy, I can have joyous moments during my day. And so like, just having come to that, like, distinction is totally changed my viewpoint on, uh, uh, on the idea of happiness,
0: right? I wonder, I
1: my-
0: yeah, I wonder if one of the words that needs to be thrown into this little bubble, then around happiness and joy is, is contentment. That Mm -hmm. as I hear you say, you know, in my day, there are moments of joy that bubble up. And then there are other times where I'm just feeling crappy that if I can be content with that experience, that that might be happiness. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah
1: content feels loaded for me because it's almost like it's not allowing for the fact that there are low points in every day or there are frustrations or uh-huh.
0: but can you not be content knowing that that is the way life is
1: oh sure good point yeah yeah
0: huh. these are all great
1: <laughs> yeah
0: great topics <laughs> that i'm making. We're not
1: going me. in light here are we
0: <laughs> we're not what sorry I miss we're not that. are
1: going in light here, are we?
0: No, we're not. We're no, no. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because I'm feeling um, like every time I think of something, I'm thinking, I, I feel a little nervous. And I was like, oh, is that one going to be even heavier now? Or is that like, what does my audience actually want to hear? Do they want light? Do they want entertainment? Or do they want deep? Or you know,
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And then that because you're talking about tapes in your head, like that tape is playing in my head, and then it's like, oh, that tape is getting in the way of me just having a nice connection with Suzanne, and having, you know, just a, a chat that flows. Yeah. And I'm interrupting it with these these thoughts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry that your tape turned on.
0: <laughs> oh, it turns on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um. Talking about turning on or like revealing, you open up a lot in the book. Like Mm -hmm. it's a very personal book where you share a lot about you and your family and the dynamics and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: who you are with your foibles and your strengths and how do you deal with that? Like how or how has that been for you to open up to that extent?
1: It hasn't really been that tough because I didn't have a huge audience that, how do I explain it? I guess, okay, so while I was writing it, I had a very serious altercation with my mother and father. I think Mm -hmm. I even wrote about it in the book where they actually threatened to disown me because I was writing it, (laughs) even though I was writing it in honor of their long-term marriage. Mm Um, and they hadn't read it yet. They just thought that I shouldn't be doing it. Um, so I guess once I got past that altercation and came to a place where I was like, no, this book really has to live. Um, once it's published and a book lives, it, there's a little bit of a removal that happens. Like I can't control what other people are going to think about me or mm-hmm. about the ideas in the book. I can only live my own life and so i i think that altercation we had helped me to kind of learn that before i even released the book fully to the public wow i had had a really wonderful group of about 12 women that were that knew about the book knew i was writing it knew parts of it they never they never all knew all of it um so that support group was really amazing to me like they were like totally cheering me on like you definitely have to write this you know and And they only all knew different parts of it. But so I had built in um, my own success into how I produced it, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. That's great.
0: And I I like what you just said about you put it out there and then it's not in your control anymore. And so you have to come, which, which makes me think about a relationship as well, that I put words out there, say, to whoever I'm connecting with. And then those words are no longer in my control, they're out, they're out there. And all I can do is come back and support myself Mm -hmm. and wait wait for a response or, you know, or decide that I'm gonna add more to it or whatever it is.
1: My red flags went up when you said that though, because I think that we have a responsibility to be careful about what it is we are saying and not Mm -hmm. like spew out nastiness.
0: Right, right, and sometimes I spew out nastiness, right? Or sometimes like I raise my voice to my kids or- Oh yeah,
1: we're human.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm not absolving myself of responsibility to correct mistakes, Mm -hmm. but at some level it's out there. And now I have to wait to see what the response is. Yeah. Like sometimes like with a client, sometimes I'm harsh. Usually I ask permission first to be harsh. Those guys have nice, but but then I go but then I go harsh, and so the words are out there, and then sometimes it really pays off. It's like they needed they needed that level of you know firmness or discipline or whatever it was.
1: To I'm of- hearing kick in the butt, but you know you can call it right. firmness if you like. <laughs> Get yourself together, man. No. <laughs> yeah you can't talk like that i know because it's a professional <laughs> i'll say it for you <laughs> um which is a lot of what that book was about for me is is some of that like kicking me out you know getting my own shit together are we allowed to swear yeah. you can you can beat you, me out well you just you just yeah. did
0: you just did yeah, <laughs> yeah. i <know. laughs> was, there's no big like uh no, the TV, like the TV channels, have some sort of overarching authority that bleeps out words. Yeah. I think, I think so. No, they have standards.
1: Who knows? Yeah. We
0: don't. We don't on podcasts.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, my
1: my kids told me they learned all their swear words except for one directly from my mouth. So, um, <laughs> thank you, children, <laughs> for letting great. me know how real I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's a nice gift. I um you can share if you want, but you don't have to what the working title of your book was that since you just said that.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, the working title was and I still like wish I had had the guts to do it. But you know, again, relationships are important to me. And I didn't want to destroy some family relationships. It was um, suck my dick and lick my pussy. And that was because I raised two boys that, um, like I just mentioned, felt comfortable using swear words in our house, because I felt like, just trying to tell them not to use particular words wasn't the best way for me to keep the communication channels open between us. And so they they learned by high school that like let's see how much we can poke fun at mom about this idea if we are allowed to use swear words, and they would use them repeatedly and too much um, <laughs> to see if they could rise you know rise a right, right. Yeah. Just get me angry or get me frustrated or whatever. And so it it got to a point where I would use swear words back. And Uh what's beautiful about it is that it kind of like deflates the swear word when mom's swearing back, right? Like all of a sudden they're like, oh man, she's not, she's not picking, she's not picking up this argument. So then we end up in a real and healthy and fun and, um, direct conversation about school about their friends about life about finances about whatever it is and and it's still true to this day when our family is together like they'll try to rile me up but they can only get so far where i'm like oh gosh you guys are doing it again and then the conversation goes a little deeper and Mm -hmm. i love that i love that i've been able to be um open to open to the jeers basically
0: right
1: Even even if it's really uncomfortable swear words
0: yeah, I like that. I, li- I like it. it. It just made me think of um, some of my kids were around the meal table a number of years ago, and my youngest was probably like four or five, maybe five at the time, and dropped the F word. And I looked, and the other kids were like, you know, their eyes went huge, and it's like, what's Dad gonna oh do God. now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and so I just looked at her, and I said. You like that word hey and she's like yeah I was like say it as many times as you want right now because then after that we're going to talk about you know whether it's a good word to use and where to use it and not use it and yeah yeah and, and so she just went for it it was just like fuck 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 there's little, there's little.
1: Totally relate to our suck my dick conversations. It was yeah. ridiculous that weekend, but yeah.
0: But it shifted. But you're right. it shifted the relationship.
1: Instead of being like the punitive parent or the like, you can't say that or don't do that. And you're just if you're constantly doing that, you're not opening up the possibility to human discourse right. and, and enjoyment right. of each other's company, so.
0: Right, and acceptance and, you know.
1: That's a big one, acceptance, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, cool. So. Can I ask you one more question? It might be heavy as well. Maybe
1: Ooh, lovely, <laughs> let's try this, <laughs> sure.
0: Um, so you say in your book, I'm gonna quote, I'm learning to tune into my complaining and make changes. And I believe you can too. So can you take us on a tour of how you address your own complaining once the voice kicks in, like once the tape starts up Mm -hmm. and then what that does for you with relationships?
1: So it's similar to the story I shared just a few minutes ago on this podcast where I heard myself kind of playing an old like whiner, poor me tape. I'm not going to say it's easy to, like, just step out of that poor me tape. It is not easy at all, but it is possible mm. uh, and it ultimately feels really good when you can <laughs> like, uh-huh. oh, you know, it's like um, sort of like a snake shedding their skin, right? Like, oh, I don't need to talk that way anymore. I don't need to think that anymore. And yeah, it might pop up again a month later and you're like, oh, shoot, here it is again. <laughs> you know, Right you can shut it again and you can just keep trying and you can just keep trying and keep trying and um Uh, and
0: and the more part um, of being
1: human i again i I know i've said that so many times on this on this podcast about being human but we are messy and we are complicated and you know allowing for that and and embracing that can help us to be more human
0: (laughs) yeah so right
1: and more i love it
0: I love it, Embracing Our Messiness. That might
1: yeah.
0: be, yeah. that's the title of the book I'm going to write in two years.
1: Embracing <laughs> Our Messiness. Embracing there is already mess- out there for creatives, but not, not written from the oh. perspective of um, therapy. So it might be interesting. Yeah,
0: <laughs> okay, cool. So um, Suzanne, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I'd like to finish our episodes by asking you, I would like to finish it by asking you three questions. OK, and um, you they're could-
1: lighter, right?
0: No. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. So, Hopefully they're lighter. The first question then is, what is your superpower? Is that light?
1: It's not, but I'll let it be light. I'm 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 sensitive and intuitive.
0: Hmm. Cool. Yes. OK, nice. Oh, yeah. Second question is, um, if you have a book sitting on your bedside table right now, what do, what are you reading right now?
1: I just finished A Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. Um, loved it. It's like a historical fiction that happens in Kentucky, and I loved it.
0: Okay, nice. Cool. Okay, and the third question is, I have this little book that I found at like a little free library that people put outside their houses. And there's a question on each page. Okay. So I'm gonna flip through the book and you say stop. And that's the question, that's the third question. Stop. Okay. The question is, if you don't have all the things you want, are you grateful for all the things you don't have that you didn't want? What? There's a lot of negative, double negative, triple negatives in yeah, there.
1: Yeah, I'm I like all the negatives, but I'll answer that by just kind of ignoring the double negatives and saying that a lot of what we've talked about here today, you know, about happiness versus joy and contentment, like, and faith even, we had a long discussion on faith, all of that, um, for me finds grounding in the daily practice of waking up and thinking of things that I'm grateful for that day that'll, that are going to happen. Like I was excited to be here with you. And then before I go to bed at night, just kind of going through a little list of what I'm grateful for, even if it, all it is, is like, you know, I was alive today and I pooped today. <laughs> you know? right. because, um, gratitude, a practice of gratitude can really make a difference in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do a gratitude thing every day taking when I take my kids to school that everyone goes around in the car and says one thing that they're grateful for and and it's everything from you know my little pinky or I took a breath or you yeah. know to, to big things hopefully Sometimes they include, I'm grateful my dad is driving me to school, but.
1: Yeah, everyone smiles. Nice to hear that you're loved, right?
0: (laughs) That's a bonus.
1: (laughs) You're not being taken, yeah, for granted.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Suzette, it actually has been wonderful.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed meeting you. I'm very grateful for our time together. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And so audience who are watching this or seeing this, Um, The book is called Conscious Curiosity by Suzanne Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S, and you can get it signed on the Etsy website, or you can go to Amazon and get, like I did, and get an unsigned copy, (laughs) Uh, but but it's a great read, and so it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. Everything about me. And if you want to learn more is on my website, Suzanne There's links to all sorts of things. Thank you.
0: Perfect. Suzanne Mm Gibbs.com. All right. Take care, everyone. And thanks for joining us.
1: You have a great rest of your day.
0: You too.